This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, movie lovers. Welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie here at Popcorn Talk. Today we go into the South as Tony Lip and his, his boss, the doctor, go on a tour. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going into the South via Green Book, the Peter Farley movie, starring Viggo Mortensen and Marshal Ali. I have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. What's happening? Hey, hey. And Marissa Serafini. Hi, everyone. The gang's all back together. Yeah. If, you, uh, if you're a longtime fan of the show or just a fan in general, uh, you know, we've been sort of mixing and matching for the past few weeks, but we are complete. For those of you joining us for the very first time, what does that even mean? Well, we get together and we talk about movies in depth. So, yes, we give our opinion. Yes, we review them, but we also go a little bit in depth. So... By that nature, it is going to be spoiler-filled. We assume that you've seen the movie, or certainly don't mind if it is spoiled. And then beyond that, we're going to get into some fun aspects of the how and the why. How did it get made? Why did it get made this way? Culminating into the box office, um, and so forth. And especially with a movie like this, with Golden Globe nominations out just recently, we can start to speculate awards season. So that'll be fun towards the end. So that's what you can look forward to. If you would like to follow along with all the things we've got going on, we do have a rundown in our description. It's a little PDF. You just click it, and there it is for you. So without further ado, where we usually begin is with our overall impressions. So Marissa, what did you think of The Green Book? I was really excited for this film because we had Chris Bowers in studio um, back in the summer of this year. So that that was the first time I actually heard about this this film, and knowing the premise back then, I was like, "Oh, this sounds fantastic!" And here it is. And I watched it. I laughed. There was moments where I was frustrated, just uh, the prejudice and the racism that are like still relevant, and those themes are still relevant today. And um, like, I, I really enjoyed how it touched upon that, and how it like really brought a, a lot of awareness and. Um, you know, eyes upon and shed that light on, you know, those types of themes. And I, I liked how they addressed it. And I really liked Vigo and Mahershala Ali, you know, being together. And it was like, it's an unlikely pairing that worked so well. So I was, they I really They are an unlikely enjoyed. pairing in real life. Right. Yeah. I really enjoyed this film because I went in thinking it was just going to be like straight drama, Oscar drama type of film. But no, I got a lot of laughs out of it. So I really enjoyed it. All right, Dimitri. Yeah, I think it's one of the top movies of the year for sure, and it is. It's it's a true life odd couple story, uh, a virtuoso concert pianist and a Bronx bouncer 
together. It's a road trip movie. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a true road trip movie, and but it's what becomes of this road trip movie. It's a it's um you know it's along the way. It's it's they forge this very heartfelt friendship that's based on so many things, so many great cool things, uh, and not so cool things. But basically, it's built on compassion. It's built on music. Uh, it, it's built on letter writing, right? And it's built on a lot of introspection. And it's built on food. There's a lot of food to be had and eaten in this movie. I was hungry. I wanted pizza when I was done. Um, Unless you're going to eat the whole thing. I don't think it counts. <laughs> that was wow. hysterical. Um, and at its core, it's a very simple film, mm-hmm. Right. But it is, but it comes with very deep bonds, and it really has one of the a really good feel good ending as well. So yeah, just a really solid uh, movie making from Peter Farrelly, who we know about from Kingpin, something about Mary. Usually does raunchy comedies, but when you think about it, his movies at its core have characters that are endearing and heart. And that's why they're funny in those movies, and that's why these true-to-life characters have their appeal as well, through yeah. and through. Yeah, and it's interesting, like a road trip movie, right? It, it in essence, certainly Dumb and Dumber qualifies as that, and mm-hmm. uh, way more funny than this movie. But, but you know, an interesting, he, he's able to stick within his genre and escalate it, right? And there are way more funnier moments than I expected. Um, obviously, and and there are dark moments that you don't expect, and it is a very interesting look at at you know both the time that was nineteen sixty two and the time that is two thousand eighteen going into two thousand nineteen. So um, I think a lot of and and the, what's interesting, I think unlike most movies, is that um, the two main characters they don't have a friendship to begin with. No. In fact, uh, you know, they don't Tony even have an enemy ship to begin with. Yeah. They don't know one, really each well, other. Well, I mean, in a sense, there is an enemy ship by by, by the sheer nature that it, what what the movie does very well establishes Tony. The fact that he 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 won't even wash glasses used by black people. He just straight throws them into the garbage because mm-hmm. washing isn't enough from his perspective. And so, for him to to go along with this. And you really, it's you know, I guess we can kick things off kind of here since it is more or less the inciting incident. He's really just doing it for the money, and this is like this is how high a standard he holds money to that he's willing to succumb his own like moral compass to take on this job. The well, it is set up that they need the money. It wasn't that he wanted more money, but I also think that as far as Tony is concerned, I did look at him as a man who has a good heart, it's just a little misplaced. You know, even when he took the interview going in, I don't think necessarily he was going in there and he had just, like, hatred right off the top. He was just saying, I'm not going to press your shirts. I'm not going to do this. I'll drive you, sure. I don't care. That's fine. Um... So I, there's a misplacement that that's one of the great character arcs of the story. I don't think like he's to me he wasn't like a like a flaming racist like I hate you. He would have never showed up for the interview. He was and tolerant. Once he found out he was he was tolerant yeah, to some degree. To some degree, um, and so I think it was a little bit like he needed the money. 
obviously, um, taking the job. And I think he also liked that the guy asked permission of his wife. <laughs> yeah, well, that just goes to show how um, how cultured, let's say, um, certainly uh, uh, Don Shirley actually was, mm-hmm. you know, um, that he would go so far. And because it is a long time, it is a big ass to to a lesser extent and and whatnot. Um, let's take a quick step back, though. Marissa, you want to give us a quick recap on context and history, and then we'll dive into story. Yeah, so back in, in the 60s, the Jim Crow laws actually uh, restricted where black people could eat, sleep, sit, shop, you know, what have you, have their social lives, um, and like what fountains they can use, what bathrooms they can use, and like times were different back in the 60s. So the, the Negro Motorist Green Book is an actual travel guide that was published annually from 1936 to 1966, which listed businesses, restaurants, hotels um, for the black community that's safe for them to travel to. So their their guidebook, and um, so that's you know really where the title comes from for the movie. Because and they do use it in the movie, um, like the safe places, because uh, Valalanga would actually be at one hotel and Doc Shirley would be at another, and you're like, oh wow. Um, because that's that's how it was set up, but um, yeah. So just just a little bit of difference in the um, back then from from now, and just like how people travel, especially. And Doc Shirley, when he was younger, he was actually he's, he's basically a legit genius. Um, he, he studied at the Leningrad Conservatory at the age of nine and made his concert debut at the Boston Pop Symphony at eight. And then he got his doctor degrees, and he speaks multiple languages. So he he's like legitimately a, a genius. So um, and because of his high intelligence, it's a nice contrast to the character of Bell, Nick Bellalonga. Well, which is interesting because because Tony, in essence, uh, you know, Dimitri, you kind of made a point. Like he he's just not initiated. He's not educated. And he makes a point. Like I know where I'm from. I'm from the Bronx. Blah blah blah. And that's all well and good, and, and as he exposes himself out into the world, he starts to gain a, a deeper understanding of how things really are and his own sh- shortcomings, if you will. And then his life changes. I mean, <clears throat> like he look, his history from then on after meeting Don Shirley is incredible, incredible. Mm. And and it's and again, it's what I think makes this story charming because this isn't just a story about race, right? Um, this really is a story about um, bonding and friendship and how these two opposites can learn from one another, right? And both of them are, both of them can be very off-putting, right? In all fairness, both of them in their demeanors can be very off-putting, but in fact, that's part of their charm, and I think that's what attracted these the two characters together, these two real-life people. So in what better way, when you're stuck in a car... <laughs> I mean, you're stuck in a car for hours uh, to learn about one another. So those are the endearing parts. And Tony himself, again, when you look at the movie, he wasn't one of those extremist, hateful racists. I wouldn't even go as far as saying he was Archie Bunker kind of racist. I mean, he was playing dice with the African-Americans outside. He chose to stay with them outside as well. Um... His heart, like he has a heart, it's just a little misplaced. And this movie is about realigning it. Same thing goes with Doc Shirley, 
You know, and I like the I like it too. It's like, oh yeah, this doctor. And when he's in, you're a doctor? Like, doctor of what? And when he finds out it's a musical, like he's a pianist, I'm a doctor of the arts, of music. I like that whole, you know, the the use of the word doctor, what it can mean. Like, you don't have to be in a surgery or a hospital. Yeah. But if you have a doctor's degree, you're literally a a legal doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and you later on learn um, that he was also... not only linguistics but psychology as well so it's not mm-hmm. just that he's a musical prodigy he he has ventured and dabbled in other aspects mm-hmm. and you know from what i understand he he was relatively successful and smart within those sure. fields as well so um he's not a one-trick pony either um and i appreciate that yeah there, there's such an authenticity with all of them because even um linda carolini says like wait you can be a doctor for that yeah. You know, so she makes that same comment and and whatnot. So, like their their languages is so reformed and refined for their performances. And um, you know, when they cast Viggo Mortensen, they knew what he would bring to the role. And then they needed obviously somebody equally as strong to to be able to juxtapose that. And I think, as they said, this is perfect casting. It was, yeah, it really was, from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk about the family dynamic um, because I, I I appreciate how we enter into this world, um, and even you you get from the home life like everyone's living in the same bedroom, um, you know the, the the husband comes home he's tired and so forth, and you get it and no one says anything to him like he's not a bad dad and even even the risk that he takes with as far as eating contests to win money, you know. So far, so good. As long as he doesn't lose the money. Right. 26 hot dogs. That's crazy. And the, the guy who was eating the hot dogs with him was the actual guy who ate all the hot dogs with Tony Lip back then. But did he win? He did. did 26 he? verse 20. That's what he said. It was 26 verse 24. That's what he said. But then moments later, we see him at a pawn shop getting $50. Like, did mm. he win? Like, or did he lose and he pawns his watch to get the $50 to say, I didn't win. And he, he sees that pawn bar, he goes, yeah, I'll be able to pay it back and I'll pay you the 60 That's the way I took that, hmm. is that he didn't really win. He pawns his watch. Hey, I didn't. Here's 50 bucks. Yeah, and, I could see it that way because he is known for telling white lies. Like the whole movie opens up with him bullshitting, bullshitting for the hat, <laughs> and then getting some money out of it and getting in good graces. The guy took care of it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Smart. Yeah. Um, so you know he's a he's a he's a well-intended guy, but he's certainly okay to cut corners as necessary. Um, Unconventional methods, we <laughs> yes. can say. Um, which I think is rather brilliant. Like if. if most road trip movies that I know probably would have started the road trip ten minutes faster. Let's that's just a you know rough guess. But sure. But, but we we spend a much longer a time establishing everything so that right. way when you get on the road trip, it's it's happening yes. and and you understand the context much mm-hmm. more thoroughly. Yeah. Um. So so let me ask you this: um, your initial reactions as far as um kind of them going on this road trip and, and, and so forth. And I don't know, like uh, Tony's adherence, like he, he was very adamant, like I'll get him to his gig, right? He kept saying to the music people, no matter what, yeah, like he doesn't show up, I don't get paid. I get it. I'm going to get him there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Did, did you? What was that initial reaction for you guys as you watched it? Him saying that just another bullshit lie because he knew that's what he had to say versus actual I th- authenticity. Of yeah, I feeling. think it was interesting because we see the this character progression and, and character growth that we see with Tony and Lip because at the beginning once they first started and literally before they even went anywhere he, he made other people load the, the suitcase so you can tell that Tony was in the position just to do the bare minimum of like what was agreed upon their negotiations for the job so it's like his job was to drive not do any other courtesy thing for him. So, like, that was his bare minimum mentality. But once you see when we get from places to locations and all these different situations that help aided to their um, situation and now how Tony would be stepping up in other different directions, like, you don't go anywhere without me, uh, without my presence. I, I have to watch you. So, like, his his duties naturally grew from place to place to place and then it got to a point where where Tony had to do something and where Tony wanted to do something for for <laughs> Doc Shirley and and I like that because you can tell just the differences of why he's doing it yeah I mean well I, I took it that in part he was being hired to be part bodyguard I mean I think it was very much implied where they were going to tour and it was very much stated. Many people came to me, Tony, and told me about your certain talents and what, and basically saying, I know what you put up with and what you're not going to put up with, and this is what I need. He just wasn't going to be putting in, like, he wasn't going to be packing for the guy, especially an African-American, maybe at the beginning of the movie. Um, but we see early on that Tony does have some sensibility of honor when when a cigarette girl is being harassed and he punches a guy out and he doesn't care that the guy is the son of a mobster or something he just doesn't care you're getting out of here like you disrespected not only the club but you disrespected this woman he has that code mm-hmm. within him and i think that's part of the reason too is that why he was chosen for the job knowing that they were going to be going into some not-so-savory territory for our Doc, Doc Shirley here. So I think that the warming up came, yes, I'm going to take your bag, yes, you can't go anywhere. You know, once he started seeing how dangerous it really is and seeing the other side of the country, whereas, and I love the, the dichotomy of, what a beautiful country this is. And then he got to see how ugly the country can be. And that's when he was like, How Don't. ugly the people can be. Right. And wow. like, and but even his you're naivete. not leaving without me. Don't leave without me. Yeah. But even, even as he was making that shift, um, <clears throat> Tony's still Tony because they're having that heartfelt moment. He just turns like, you know something I've been thinking about since, we, since the beginning of this trip? Pittsburgh really isn't in tits. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, okay, you know, that's... Um, that's what you have to say. But um, I, I guess in thinking, let, let me ask you guys this, because I feel like I can pinpoint more of the lessons and takeaways that Tony learned. He certainly learned to write better before he was writing, like, I'm eating chips to his wife. <laughs> then, you know, his attempt that you're like a house, it, it, it became a sweet, it became a Tony type of metaphor, and, and there was some sweetness to it. Um, he certainly learned a different perspective. 
and all that understanding um, and so forth, whereas, and certainly his diction got better. Sure. I'm wondering what tangible aspects can you point to? Because I'm, I'm, there are some, but it's it's a little bit harder, for, at least for me, to pinpoint what uh, Dr. Shirley walks away with. Besides just friendship, perhaps, which is obviously a big one, but... Go ahead. Uh, I think it was like one that I could. It's not so so tangible, but more so you can see the the effectiveness of how important it is to surround yourself with people who actually enjoy your presence. Because um, mm-hmm. we always see Tony Lip with his family. His family is like a very very strong support system. The reason why he took his job is to support his family, and and Tony has friends. And like a lot of different places, business connections and what have you, and we really only see Doc Shirley with him and his trio, and even his the the two other people that make up his trio aren't really with Doc Shirley. They're always in their other car or at another table. They're they're there for the band when they play together, but they're not actually really there to accompany Doc Shirley as friends. They're there professionally. So. And you can see Doc Shirley, he, he's lonely in that sense. And there are so many moments where he's always looking out at other people, like at the hotel, and he's mm-hmm. drinking by himself, but he sees other people socializing. And you can tell, not to say he's jealous, but he's definitely lonely. He wants that. And um, when he finally gets the moment where he's accepted into the Tony Lip family at the end, you're like, oh, it's like he has, he now has a group of people like uh, a, a support system which he didn't have at the beginning. So that's a big takeaway for him, I think. Yeah, I think there are a lot actually more tangible things too. Um, He's a very standoff-ish person, whether that was through life, whether his relationship with his brother, uh, the marriage, the failed marriage. He's a very standoff-ish guy. And he too shunned his own culture. He wasn't familiar with the likes of Aretha Franklin, um, or uh, uh, who else are they listening on the radio right now? Little, I can't. Little Richard. <clears throat> like Little Richard. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to. He believed them to be performers. You know, he, he felt himself better than the rest, better than most, better than them all. He he had that monologue where he said, I don't, I'm not going to be a performer where I have the bourbon glass and the piano or whatever. And I think that scene. That scene at the at the end when they're at that African American blues bar barbecue, and he goes up to the piano. He does see the takes the bourbon glass off, but when he cuts loose, it was amazing music, just as beautiful, just as amazing as his concert virtuoso performance with his trio. But at the end of it, he goes, "You know, Tony." I would do that once a month for free. <laughs> I had such a great time. He realizes that there's more to music than just Chopin. And to me, that was amazing. And then through through food. I mean, he probably stayed away from fried chicken because he felt there was a stereotype, right? And when he's offered Kentucky fried chicken, in Kentucky, I might add. <laughs> that was so funny. Kentucky fried chicken in Kentucky? <laughs> He's like, wow, this is this is actually really good. So I think his world, his world, as educated as he was, I think his world broadened because of Tony. You know, so he had this sense. Um, use of his language, he also had that sense of loyalty. I thought it was a wonder. My favorite scene in the movie is when he felt Tony was going to 
accept another job. Yeah. And Tony's like, no, man, I'm contracted with you. I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, oh, oh. Like most people he would think would turn away from him. So throughout the movie, the arcs, I thought, on both characters were just wonderful. And you see them happening. So at the end, when he comes to Tony's family, it, first off, like it was like all quiet. And then the guy's, what the hell are you standing around for? Get this guy a plate. Yeah. It was a great scene. Beautiful scene. Um, real good uh, side tangent then we'll get back to it like um, Viggo Mortensen did sit in with the real family and he he just kept eating because he didn't want to be rude they were like oh you, you know you don't like the food and so he kept finishing his plate only to find out there was more to still eat it's like a Greek family well, yeah. that's, a, that's a very Italian family oh. uh, I'll, I'll tell you because I come from an Italian family it's like they will feed you till you die until you like they roll you out. Every time I go home, my mom's like, "You're leaving with five more pounds on you." I'm like, "All right, no. say so." <laughs> um, it's very. He always has tradition. an appetite. <laughs> it's, like, it's food. Everyone loves eating. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the most common uh, things we can yeah. can get behind. A That's typical f- meal in Italian in Italy, and I'll tell you because I've been there. It's like it's a seven course meal. Like mm-hmm. that's a regular day. Yeah, and it's a great less preservatives, to, but, but you know yeah. you. When you're eating, I mean, it's a great way to converse as well. You know, you you're like sharing chicken, so something. It's 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 a great social gathering. Well, it also it also flips that <clears throat> notion on its head because the you know you can I guess call it the climax of the movie in Birmingham at the last performance. You know, you take take a simple act as eating, and the fact that this is what the movie is going to a head on is that hey he's hungry he wants dinner and he can't sit at the place he's about to be performed now he's already got he got the best parking spot in the you know hotel right uh green room not so much but you know he is the guest of honor except for that and and it is as we're talking like it's just food at the end of the day and um i think that's a great way to really illustrate a point of of disconnect, you know, like that, that that was a thing. But think about that scene as well and what that scene led to. So they leave to go get food. They come across this barbecue joint. And what is their, what, what is their feature? What is their best thing? Fried chicken. And it was a great look that Vigo Mortensen gave him. He goes, see? He goes, and, and, it was such a fun scene for him because he's literally taken out of this upscale world and he's now put in to another African-American world that also likes different kind of food that he's familiar with. Music that he's, you know, he shuns. The scene there, that was the big eye-opener. And then it's it's also Tony's biggest bullshit moment that comes full circle where earlier on he, he goes to grab a gun, never has to use anything. He goes, do you really have a gun on you? He goes, no, Doc, I'm bullshitting. And then at the end he goes, <laughs> he pulls out a gun. It was, again, movie has these wonderful, great moments. Great setups. Yep. Well, I, th- I think that moment, right, if, if anything that they walk away with, um, there was that great scene where where Shirley did say like I, I'm neither black nor white essentially, and mm. from that perspective, like as time went on, Tony was beginning to be 
pigeonholed into that sort of circumstance where he was neither white nor black either. And that was an interesting way to go about it, you know, because you would think that he wouldn't have to deal with that. But the fact that he's the one who landed in jail over a comment of, like, you know, basically Italians are somewhat closer to, to blacks than whites or whatever, and then he punches the guys out. And, you know, what's nice about the final scene is he realizes that he's doing it beyond just him, you know, because right. he, he kept, you know, it, it was all self-preservation in a sense up until that point masked underneath like, well, I'm doing it for you, you know? Um, speaking of which, I want to ask you guys about the the pool scene where they hint at um, Shirley being gay. Um, and it's never been brought up. It's never talked about. And it's just, you know, when you talk about, because it's one thing to deal with racism, but then you add something like that and, you know, it takes it to a next level of potential bigotry on behalf of Tony, but he never, the fact that he never brings it up, I think is very telling because I don't, you know, it's, 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 he's starting to accept Dr. Shirley no matter what. And, and in fact, all kind of walks of life. I don't know. That's the way I took it. What about you guys? I, I mean, I really actually enjoy that scene because it just shows just how much <coughs> Dr. Shirley like goes through every, every single day. And you understand why he only performs certain things out in public and why he's so more introverted and more private in, in his own personal life because he there's a lot of things that he does in his life where back in the 60s it's not really allowed it's not tolerated it's definitely taboo it's not um, accepted it's not accepted whatsoever i mean and, hell even today like we're still yeah i mean like we've, we've made boy, some boy progress raced. but there's still problems with homosexuality and all that so but i, I think the the level of when we see these guys at this point in the movie is just now is just sheer respect out of each other and protecting each other. So it's like it it would feel like too much if we now also brought in a whole nother issue because I think the main issue that they wanted to really touch upon in this film is about the racism, not about the homosexuality. I yeah. like they addressed it, but it's not like they swept it under their rug. They addressed it enough where we can still understand what Doc Shirley's going through. Well, I think too. I think a, a, the means to the end for that scene was to actually showcase <clears throat> Tony, because Tony again comes through and says, "Look, Doc, I, people do strange things." It goes back to what we were saying early on about Tony. He's he's tolerant to an extent. He knows he's his boss. Okay, he's traveled with him at this point, but he he's he's he he's like, listen, I don't no need to explain strange things people go do whatever. Let's just fix this problem. Let's mm -hmm. let's get out of this problem, you know. And it was the way in which then Doc Shirley looked upon how Tony got him out of that problem, right? I mean, it's a pretty again simple full scene very deep rooted because then doc shirley gets pissed at him okay. you pay them off you're basically legitimizing what they did he goes no i'm not doc he goes i'm getting you out of jail in the best way possible where you're not getting killed and you're not spending a night and your reputation is saved and we can get off to the other show that's what i'm hired that's what you had me do that's how I can bullshit people. I don't, legit, I don't care either way. This is what we're doing. I thought it was a really interesting, uh, fascinating scene. And once that scene is done, we don't need to address it again. We already know. There's hardships on this trip. 
and through those hardships, both the characters learn something. Yeah, and what what's kind of cool, like they they always, you know, you're always trying to fit, find the middle ground and what is what is the right approach, right? And they they you know that's an example of Tony dealing and handling something and fixing it, but to you know uh, the means obviously ne- debatable. But then later on in the sundown town, uh, the doctor has his own way of dealing with it, and good old Bob Kennedy yeah. getting a call and then going down the down the telephone line from there yeah. until we release the, the good doctor. Yeah, um, which is interesting because. And the humility he even has afterwards, because because Tony's like, oh yeah, we got we got Kennedy on our side, and he's like, like this is what I had to call in the favor for, really. Right. Um, so it's it's interesting how how that dichotomy works both yeah. ways, yeah. and see it explored. Um, yeah, what, did you think like eventually once it hit perhaps Tony? Did you think like he learned from that lesson and, and to? Because the doctor's biggest lesson was nonviolence is the answer, versus Tony. He was always a relatively violent guy. He's a bouncer, yeah, and he knows right from wrong. He knows when people are being wrong, but that's just his way of 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 handling the situation. Now, too, at the end, you know, when they're going to another restaurant. You almost felt as if Doc Shirley was going to use violence against that guy too. <laughs> like, and they both chose the better way. And it's like we're both. Come on, Doc, we're getting out of here now. I was wondering, who the fuck was the rest of the band? Where's the trio? How come they're not getting up in solidarity? And, I think they did. Oh, did I didn't. See, were they at the club? I didn't see them at the club. Oh, not at the club. <clears throat> not not at the. Pardon me. Um, they were at the last performance place, and they got out. Um, which was strange. I mean, if I had any sort of nitpick with the movie, it's the fact that the 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 duo from the trio, <laughs> um, they seem to know and have, it seemed like a lot of great empathy and care towards the, the um, Dr. Shirley, but they weren't, you know, as... But yet they didn't, they, sorry not to cut, but yeah. yet they didn't do anything. That's, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was more so, I think they just wanted, because... Yeah, they are Caucasian, so they were more comfortable in their Caucasian privileges, and and they wanted to you know be seen as that social class because you know they are paid performers and they're they're not getting any into any trouble. So they they witness everything that Doc Shirley does. They feel for him, but yet they don't do anything about it. Nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, and so like, how great of a guys were were they? Anyways, and even then, like the one Russian guy. <laughs> It's not like he was well beloved either, Oleg. like no. you know. Yeah. So it's I I I respect the movie for um, highlighting everyone's kind of everyone had a way of being looked at and being put down because it just shows like all all of it is ultimately stupid. Right. You know, there's everyone can point to somebody else and pinpoint something, but why do that as opposed to see what they're actually good at and right. that just because they're on the may appear different they're actually not right mm-hmm. so um that's what i appreciate the movie um all right i guess any other story observations or things you want to talk about before we talk about production well i yeah i, I want to talk about the letter writing okay yeah absolutely. <clears throat> because i think again it's another charming piece of this movie as uh, was, uh i believe yeah 
Mercer or was it? No, it was you're talking about like, you know, first he's writing about chips. I ate chips today <laughs> and I dried my socks, <laughs> right? Kiss the boys. <laughs> yeah, P.S. Kiss the boys. P.S. Kiss the boys. And I liked it when Doc Shirley's like, what are you doing? Give that to me or, or, or put, take this down. And he did without question. And he said, Doc, at the end, uh, you mind if we put a P.S.? He goes, well, P.S.? Goes, yeah, could you just put kiss, kiss the boys for me? Tony, we'll put Kiss the Boys there for him. So, and I liked how with each letter, <clears throat> number one, it became folklore back in the Bronx. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I want a letter. <laughs> the, the, the seats, they were great. You know, after you make me Yeah, after you make me a, yeah, a, me a d- dinner. Like, oh, I could have slapped him. <laughs> oh, that was great. It's terrible. Yeah, how about you make me a dinner and I'll, I'll write you a letter. But then at the end, where Tony goes and writes. He says, no, Doc, I got this. He goes, let me read it. And the smile, he goes, yeah, Tony, you do have this. It's like he got it. But then when they go to the house at the end, again, another pristine line is when his wife, while hugging Doc Shirley, says, thank you for the help in writing the letters. And he just burst out laughing. I mean, he's in the family. Yeah. And that's he how the movie in. ends. Yes. Like, it ends on a happy note. Yeah, and at that, he's in. Like, yeah. she is so proud and accepting and knows the influence that he had on her husband. That's a great Christmas gift. Absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah that, that, that was such a wonderful scene. A hundred percent, and uh, I, I, yeah, the fact that they call them Shakespeare, they're Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the writing letters, and also the the moments where Doc Shirley w- would make um, Tony Lip like do more honest things, like yeah. the Rock, like yeah. returning the polished Rock, Jade Rock, whatever that was, and like just that five minute argument of like moral, you know, going back to the moral compass is like it's not right to to steal, put it back, and then. <laughs> that's still like playing out throughout the the rest of the film, and that actually became something of Doc Shirley. It was their like, touchstone. It, it was the, literally their touchstone. But then also the, the fun moment when they're first eating the chicken, like, well, yeah. what do you do with it? And you throw it out the window, and then he throws out the, the, the actual soda, the soda paper cup. <laughs> like, nope, <laughs> he skirted the line with the littering. Pick it up. So I like how Doc had the the honest, <clears throat> um, you know, that moral compass is like, no, 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 th- this is the line. Um, and the, I, I the, really like that. The throwing the bones at the car was hysterical. He was like, what do yeah. you do? He goes, like this. Just and so he's like, he's just looking at it going, like this is, and he does it. And his his expression was like, oh, great, weight was lifted off. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. huh. And he was happy throwing more out after. So he was enjoying his chicken. He was enjoying this time. Ah, but you're not going to throw full-edged trash yeah, yeah, that's literary. <laughs> yeah, it really is amazing. I, we could do a whole <clears throat> dissertation just on food and, and kind of the metaphor it implies here. Because if you, you know, from, from the start of the trip to the end of the trip, the fact that Tony is sharing his food with him versus in the beginning, the wife makes both of them sandwiches and he makes it, he looks down, he's like, well, he doesn't know nothing. I'm just gonna eat the sandwich. And he just yeah. pissed me off. <laughs> or yeah. Something. yeah. So I'm eating your sandwich, buddy. It's it's just such a when, when we talk about the simplicity and yet the the level of depth uh, that films can have, and certainly this film, 
is such a simple way to illustrate it. It is. And every day, an activity we do three times a day. Yeah, and, and again, it just goes, there, there is a, a, a wonderful simplicity to this movie. It's not sharp, quick edits. It's not overly fast-paced. It's very simple, but every scene has something impactful and deeply rooted and that's what I really enjoyed about this movie. And if I, just to add to this, one thing that I was thinking about while watching this movie, because it is shot quite simply, right? <clears throat> it looks beautiful. And at the times when he says, wow, what a beautiful country we're in, and you get that. Yeah. It made me think, like, of, God, I am so glad that this isn't a Netflix movie. Like, I am glad I am sitting here in a movie theater watching this with a crowd of people who are equally is enjoying this movie if not even more so than I laughing and watching this simple almost independent film I know it's released by Universal but it has an independent feel to it right very much so even the means of how it got made we'll talk about that yeah I just felt God this this is this works this is a good movie going experience that doesn't have superheroes that doesn't have action but it has bond. It has friendship. It's another variety, another layer that adds to why a, the movie-going experience is so wonderful. Because you can get so many different things depending on your mood and what you like. And there should be no reason why a movie like this was just feel good. We talked about Instant Family not too long ago. Feel mm-hmm. good. That falls into the category. And I was so happy to be sitting in a theater with these strangers just enjoying this this, this movie for two hours. Well... Number one, is, uh, this movie was shot in a two-to-one ratio, essentially, which is a little bit wider than than normal, um, at least of most movies. Uh, but speaking about Peter Farley, what's in- intriguing, like, he, he came to this with the notion, he always wanted, it's that lame question that everyone asks, like, what do you want to do in your career that you haven't done yet? And he's like, drama, of course. And he said, just things finally lined up with this one. It's not like he's been avoiding dramas, but but this one was just the one that stuck out for him. He he wanted to be a part of it, and in essence became you know got involved very early on in terms of the writing and and then the directing. And what I appreciate, it's a very indie movie in the sense that you have Vigo Mortensen saying, "Hey, let's keep shooting. Let's go up north into the snow and get some driving shots." Um, you know, you don't normally get that on on a. Avengers movie certainly no. no no you know not to not they obviously do a fantastic job with those but 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 there's that spirit of like let's whatever it takes there is a I so glad you said that you're right there's a spirit there's the collaborative effort there's the we're we know we feel that we're part of something special we're mm-hmm. doing something great something is clicking and <clears throat> we talk about it because people well people in production talk about it they can tell when they're part of something good and that's just a fantastic thing where Vigo Mortensen says "Ah, let's get some mountain shots let's get some shots of snow you know and they just want the best for this movie and I think it's paying I think the dividends are paying off yeah you know and it's it's very interesting like um, Peter has been side where he's both very collaborative but also has a vision which I think is a very hard line to well it's a, it's a very hard balancing act because in essence you know you sort of look at it well if you're too collaborative then you don't 
seem like you have a vision or you're not through. And sometimes you have too much of a vision that you look at everyone as like sheep and you're just moving the, the pieces where they may. Um, but they said, no, he, he blends perfectly and obviously the result is on screen. Right, and at the beginning of filming, he actually like told the cast and, and crew members, like, if you have any ideas, pitch them to me. So he was very collaborative in that sense, in the fact that he was open to allow other people's ideas come to fruition. Yeah. And Not a lot of directors do that. Some do, but to have, like, everybody's everybody. input. Yeah, no, yeah. You're, you're absolutely on the money. Um, you know, and we've heard many other stories, too, where the director will choose a team in which his communication where they understand the language in which you know they understand what the director sometimes to a point where they know what the director wants before he's even said it um so that goes into that collaborative process and wanting the project to work and not stifling anybody down not saying uh you know you know buddy boy i know you're a director but i'm the one who calls the shots here you know, I'll be the one telling you what to do. There was obviously there did not appear to be any of that here from crew, but even the actors seem to really want to give their best, uh, and you can tell. You can just tell on this I, movie. I, I mean, Linda, Linda Carlini, and <clears throat> Vigo have been cited like they, they they look like they've been married since high school, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's a tough thing and um, to portray. But they they pulled it off. They did very well. Very yeah, well. I think uh, you know it's. I've crushed on Linda Cardellini since like Scooby Doo and such, and to see her. Uh, but seriously, you, you, she's grown as as an actress, and this role she's right here, fella. she is. And and in, but in this movie right here, I think it's probably, in my opinion, like her best role. It's not that she carried the movie or was in it, but every scene she was in, there was a charm and sweetness about her. And loving her husband for who he was. And the scene where she takes the glasses out of the thing, it was like, uh, you saw the anger in her face, and she's like, just gives that look. But she knows she's her like, husband. That's my husband. That's my husband. And But there was a love. That you, it's like you said, you, they were in love since high school, Vigo yeah. and, and Linda. They were very good, but she was fantastic, I felt, in, in that supporting, in a very supporting role. I thought she was a great woman. And again, she has the line of the... She has the line that lights up the screen at the end. Thank you for helping my husband with his letters. Mm-hmm. Well, she even... I, I mean, I don't know how it would have turned out if she said no, but she gave the go-ahead yeah. to, for him yeah. to go. Yeah. So so that that's a very powerful thing that she had. I would like to think she had quite a bit of control in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And... I think to her, too, the fact that Doc Shirley reached out to her, and she was like, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. She takes the phone begrudgingly and then goes, oh, wait, you're asking for my, you're asking for my opinion? <laughs> I'm the one. Wow. Okay. And she got to state her opinion. And she did it from a practical sense. Yeah, I think I, I think in that moment she was reacting to, like, just... <clears throat> Tony is a perfect mirror to the types of phone calls she probably is used to having. Because he opens up with, hey, 
<laughs> just, that's it. Every phone call, hey. <laughs> and, you know, so, so she's probably used to that type of interaction. And most people that probably would call Tony for a job like, hey, I know he said no, but I need him. And uh, can you talk some sense into the guy? Like, come on. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, tell him to do it for you or something. But make it happen. Whereas we, 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 we've seen even before that, but then certainly after he has Don Shirley has this disarming demeanor and the fact that he does ask her is something that no other person probably would again go back to that comment of like yeah I'll write you a letter when you make me dinner that's that's what she's used to and it's a great sign of respect exactly that she yeah absolutely and again it's just one of those scenes very simply done but yeah. has so much more into it and and I think it and I think it works because of the performance absolutely of Linda Carlini so um, I want to, well, uh, I definitely want to spend a lot of time talking about the music, but um, one of the things I, I will say also, it was, uh, in the editing, it was Vigo's suggestion to just begin the movie so you're captured by it rather than having this artifice put in front of you of right. like, oh, this is who made it and so forth. Like, nope, we're just right in, and that's it. Yeah, no um, opening credits or titles. Yeah. No. You know what movie you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great way to do it, and to open up inside the Copacabana, of all places, too. You had a great sense of the music, the energy, the time, the, the time, the, the the makeup, the costuming. It was really it, it was a good like swinging way to yeah. kick this movie off because music is so important. Well, speaking of, that, let's talk about it. Sure. Because one of the, one of the aspects I appreciated. Um, we talk about this a lot, but when you have instrumental music versus music with lyrics, generally instrumental music can survive, you know, be timeless. Uh, and even though this was set in the 60s, it really felt, you know, like if, if I went to some bar and listened to his music, yeah, I could get behind it. And even even towards the end with the blues music and the jazz and so forth, like it really worked and, and it resonated. Yeah, and I think the great thing about music is it's a universal language. Absolutely. Everyone can enjoy music no matter like what gender you are, what age you are, what race you are. It's like music speaks to everybody and I think that's what like really connected Dak Shirley to everybody no matter what their racism or prejudice they had against him. They still enjoyed his performance and his talent. Yeah, and I think too that was the beginning of the bonding process when when we had Tony the Lip, right, uh, watching Doc Shirley play for the first time. And he was like going, wow, he really is an amazing musician. And he's like, and he was smiling going, wow, this guy's great. Even when his first letter, yes, he's better than I would have imagined. He's like brilliant at what he does. Music is bonding in two. Music can bring people together. We see that at the club at the end of the movie. Which is a big part because, uh, you know, Tony's big thing has like, you know, like, listen, anybody can play Chopin and so forth. But but you, like, you got your own thing. And and that is the big part of the movie is is Don Shirley coming out of his own skin and and just allowing himself to be himself. Right. Right, and I liked his talent goes across all all aspects because we saw throughout the whole film and like how much he wanted to play on a Steinway right. piano. That was like a running thing. It's, it's in his contract. It has to be a certain type of piano until we finally get the the end bar at the end. Clearly not a Steinway, and but 
it doesn't matter what piano he's on, his talent and his love for the performing and the music showcases on whatever instrument he does. Yeah. So, and I like that. And again, I love the way that whole scene was set up. They're at the bar. So what are you? What are you? A cop? Do I look Irish? <laughs> he goes, well, what about you? What do you? Oh, he's like one of the best pianists in the world. Really? Well, go ahead, prove it. And he's like, go ahead, Doc. He's just like, no, no. He didn't want to be the quote unquote performer. It's like, no, go ahead. And he walks up in a tux in a place that's. With the coattail. Yeah, and all that. coattail, bow tie. Yeah. And still has the same demeanor. Like, by, you know, he didn't just, yeah. like, sit down, whatever. He, he made yep. sure, like, he, he was. Yep. And, and he looks, and I, and I love that. I love that recall of the bourbon glass. And he puts it down. And then he starts playing his music. And then the tempo changes and the band comes up and he just let it rip and he wailed and the whole place stopped because they didn't know what they're getting from this guy and they got a concert they got a great jazz swing concert free concert for free and it was amazing and that too like again i i I said the line earlier which is like i would do that for free at least once a month I would just it showed his that. ability to adapt because <laughs> yes. he didn't. He wasn't the driving force of that music, as you said. The band came in and they hit that string first, Oof, yeah. and then he's like, "Okay, I get what you're going for. I can enhance this." So can... it wasn't it wasn't a taking over. It, it was in support of, yeah, which I appreciate. It was it was a great scene, and to see everybody just stop and then whoa, and they're all clap. It was great. Great scene. So, uh, Marissa, at the top of the show, you mentioned um, you found out the, the, about this movie through Chris. Chris <clears throat> Bowers, who, who's been here. Um, go check out our on-the-fly filmmaking interview. Marilyn Mandel interviewed him. Um, he came in the summer, so this was like already about six months ago. But he, he talked about... So, we know Mahershala Ali is a great actor, but he couldn't play piano to the extent that Chris Powers can. So he was actually the body double and they recorded him and all of his hand movements and he's the one who's actually playing the piano for every performance you see of Doc Shirley. And then they imposed um, Mahershala Ali's head onto him. So, But uh, even before that, uh, Chris Powers was a part of the... the um, composing of the actual music so he did go back to like tapes and recordings of the original docs and um and he took that music but he he kind of not to say modernized it but like made it his own um to today's music and helped compose it so it could translate to Mm -hmm. people in 2018 Mm -hmm. um so he he was very very part of the production of the sound um and the sound mixing and the composing for the music for the entire film let alone being the body double for Mahershala Ali now that said they did credit Mahershala Ali for like he he took quite a bit of lessons Mm -hmm. so by the end like obviously he wasn't uh world renowned quite yet but he can do some stuff too he was and and it looked I have to say it looked fantastic on screen because all right, so we go to the movies more than the average person, right? So you can sort of figure out the trickery, meaning show close-up of the hands, cut then cut to the, to the head, but don't show the hands. And if it's if and then cut from behind, yeah. So so, <laughs> so when you have a wide shot, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't know. But with this movie, 
it was very clean as to pulling back and like seeing Marcelo Ali play. And I was like, he looks like he's actually playing. He must have learned how to do some stuff. He looks mm-hmm. good at it, you know. Um, so in the music too, the, the the music was sweeping from 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 beginning to end. You know, I like that sort of jazz. And it was, you know, it, it was energizing when it needed to be. Um, solemn when it needed to be. Uh, it, it was a really decent soundtrack. It was a good movie. And people yet, they'll, they won't necessarily look at it as score. Well, really, that's, really. The, that's the big thing. <clears throat> like, um, for Golden Globes, it can't be nominated <clears throat> for that reason. Yeah. Because it's not, it's pre-existing music, right. yeah. in essence. Um, I don't know, where, where do you guys fall on that? I mean, I understand. I mean, uh, when, like, Beauty and the Beast that came out back in 2017 didn't really get nominated for the music because a lot of it, we've heard the music before. I mean, that's Ellen Minkin. Um, There was a new song that was added to it because of Ellen Minkin and the wonderful Celine Dion, but, like, it couldn't get nominated because it wasn't technically original music. Right. And so it it does suck when you have, like, good music, but it's already heard. Done they they need like a you know how they have with screenplays best original best adapted, adapted. Yeah, music best adapted <laughs> yeah, adapted, maybe. adapted music maybe I, yeah. I don't know just the thought in, in certain yeah. cases I mean you know this well I guess the same would go for Bohemian Rhapsody right yeah this yeah. movie is equally it. this movie is equally driven by the music almost as equally as Bohemian Rhapsody which is really driven by the music but this one's about a musician same star is born yeah and. I had to throw that in there. Well, you get, but, but A Star is Born is original music. But that's original music. So, that's why they got you nominated. Know, that, that, that's, a, that's a score and they don't exist. Mm-hmm. So you have to do original music because they don't exist. Queen exists. Doc Shirley exists. He has the albums and such. But it's it's how it's performed. It's It's how it comes across through the speakers in your theater it's how it engages an audience and if it even if it opens an audience up who may not be familiar with this music maybe they'll download the soundtrack maybe they'll want to expose themselves to this kind of 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 jazz mm-hmm. um which i think is is brilliant so <clears throat> you know i don't know maybe the best adapted music Could category be. for when it for when it's needed but then you got to go well, how many movies come out a year? I mean, movie music drove this movie. We were talking about the music, which is fantastic. Um, but I think to we focus on performance, screenwriting, and direction of this movie really add up to to make this whole. Well, it's so and this, mo- this movie acting. has an A plus cinema <clears throat> score. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so kudos to them. Where do you guys land? There's some speculation, or not speculation, but but this idea that they went too wide too fast. They open up November 16th, limited. Then Thanksgiving week, they open up the 1,000 theaters. And they didn't, according to some people, they didn't hit the mark that they should have. And even 1,000 is not wide enough. No, I, I think that they've been handling... Well, number one is Universal. I mean, they have focus. This doesn't go out through focus, which I would have thought that this would have been that kind of a movie because Universal usually does not platform a release. They did so here. Um, again, I think that they've been doing everything okay. I don't think that it, that, that, it, that it was like released too quickly. It is building that crest. It is building that wave. 
And I know we talk about this on like Meet the Movie Press. We we've touched upon it here. There are just so many damn movies coming out. Like how do you how do you separate yourself from the pack, right? We talked about it when we talked about Instant Family. Could it have benefited from another release date because it was so crowded, right? But this movie, you release it limited. It's been getting really decent reviews. Crowds and audiences really enjoy it. And now with the Golden Globe nominations that has had, it only helps intensify that wave. And Universal will be able to open it on more and more screens throughout the country, allowing more and more people to see it. I believe this past week it opened up. It was this past week. It was like number seven. The movie itself has made 23. No, it's uh, made 15 million, 15, 16 yeah. million dollars. Like 15, 16. And, and we got a 23 million dollar budget. I think this movie goes right through the holidays. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if you think about it, the movie does <clears throat> have a specific timeline. It, it covers eight weeks two months supposedly leading up to christmas mm-hmm. and this is the month of christmas now we're in december so it does make sense that they're releasing it at this time of the year even though it's like it is a family traveling movie you can watch this at any time of the year and uh, but also it helps because this is a good time for them to release it because of music and performances for mm-hmm. we are at the start of the nominations a lot of golden globe nominations so far for the 2019 award season is that uh, it, like Vice got a bunch of nominations. The movie isn't even out in theaters right. yet for people to see. Yeah, it. This I'm, movie is more wide than Vice's, and Vice already has nominations. Right. Where the normal audience hasn't seen that movie yet. True. So yeah, some of these like, movies, I'm like, what is this? It's like this is a good movie. It's a good time to be out right now. Yeah, and I, I also think, and I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat something that I said uh, when we talked Instant Family. I think it's a movie that's needed right now. Because I truly believe, because it has that 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 good natured charm and good feeling um, aspect to it, so that when you get up at the end of the movie, you feel pretty good. You feel good, and you walk out going, "That was a really good movie." Like I felt good watching this movie. The only knock on I have is the I loved the pictures, the text, a little bit fast, a little bit small. Oh, at the end, yeah. That was my only knock. Yeah, but yeah, and it's we need more types of crowd pleasers, mm-hmm. um, and this one fits the bill because it has everything in it as well. So you know, I'm glad. It, you know, we talked about the 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 family, right? The 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 Valanoga family. This movie was a family effort. I mean took 50 years for this movie to get from script to screen and it all happened with the oldest son Nick. Nick was the person who 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 appreciated this relationship and wanted to see this through and he was like I could make 50 movies about my dad being at the Copacabana and being Don Rickles. I love the picture with him and Don Rickles by the way so it was great but seeing him like Frank Sinatra yeah that probably could have been other stories. I'm glad they they showed this one, and he used he actually recorded Doc Shirley and his dad with conversations, and I think it comes through. I mean this this movie is a family affair in That's a sense. Right. It still is. It's still within the family, and it, and it, it cements Tony Tony the Lip right, right. because <laughs> I I love that moment when. When Don Shirley tells him, like, you talk too much, essentially. 
So, you know, my wife says the same thing. My wife. <laughs> and he just continues talking about how, how she tells him he talks too much. That's the way you said it. My talk says... It's quiet time. <laughs> and he keeps talking. Yeah, it... Um, you know, I think that... Uh, yeah, that scene was great because yeah, my wife says that the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's let's talk nominations, shall we? <clears throat> um. So number one, it is nominated as a musical or comedy. Uh, these are the Golden Globes. We don't have right. Oscars yet. Um. So, so musical or comedy, best picture. Um. Let's see, Mu- uh, musical or comedy, uh, best actor for Vigo. Best supporting, um, is of course Mar- Marshala Ali. Um, no nod to Linda Cardellini, which is it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, I think it's I think it's her best role. Yeah, and you, you know, know and, I mean, and she's but, had some good roles. She's not in this movie a lot, but there but have been great. other people who have been nominated for less. Yeah, for true. Less, so yes. you know, I look at it from that perspective. Um, like we mentioned, no, no, nothing for score. Um, and that's that's it. So three three nominations ultimately. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Thoughts? You think it's going to win any of those? Um, I because it does <clears throat> help that Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala were just nominated, and like Mahershala has won before, but they were both nominated the same year back in 2017 in the same awards season. So like they already have like a leg up and the recognition for just acting status, so they're definitely going to get nominated again. Uh, right. It's still a little early in the movie releases for the Oscar seasons because Vice has yet to come out, even though they got nominated. So more people have seen this movie than they have yeah, so seen let me, Vice. Let, let me contextualize so. it. So, be, so let's start with Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, right? This is Golden Globes. Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns, and Vice. I have seen two of those five. Yeah. And three of those five aren't even out yet in theaters right. for the regular public audience to see. No. Um, I mean, That's, Crazy Rich Asians was fun. Right, I, right. It would be cool for that. Like, listen, if that movie won over this, I wouldn't be mad necessarily. Um, just two different flavors, ultimately. Two great movies, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, we, you know, but this movie, I mean, we have to bring this up. Um there is a controversy surrounding this movie, surrounding Viggo Mortensen, actually, as well, which he has been, uh, uh, personally, I don't think it's quite fair. I mean, he he used the N-word, but he was using the word in the context of this movie and of the time period. He wasn't he wasn't calling anybody that. He wasn't using the movie. For, he wasn't. He, he wasn't tossing uh, the word out derogatory. derogatorily towards anybody or derogatory. Period. He, he was trying to use it in an educational context right. to help to the heighten time, right and to the movie and oversensitivity factors in. And you know, it's. I think the biggest mistake too is when you had some like Mar- Marshala Ali was like, yeah, it was unfortunate. Marshala Ali says it was unfortunate he used that word. Again, to use it in a way where there's a context within this movie, which is about, which deals with racism. But now he can't be part of, they're, they're really not using him on any part of campaign or anything. So his performance hopefully will really be remembered. Um, but it's a, it's a, just a sad controversy that he got wrapped up in. And I know too, you've heard, He's very sad 
that it happened. He didn't want to bring that upon the movie. Well, now the focus is on the focus is on that. <clears throat> what he was ultimately trying to get across was that. It's that this, bad. yeah, that racism is bad, and this movie kind of helps illustrate that, right? So, yeah, yeah, I get you know. Um, let's see. So, let's talk about best actor in a supporting role in, in any motion picture. So, this is comedies, musicals, and dramas. Uh, as we said, Green Book is nominated. So, Mar- Mar- Marshall Al Ali, mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy, Adam Driver for Black Klansman. Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? And Sam Rockwell for Vice. So three of those, three out of those five I have seen. I have not seen Can You Forgive Me or Vice. Um, I think, to me, I, I honestly, right now, I think it's between Adam Driver and Ali. I think they both... Ali takes it a little bit more because he, I think he carries the movie more so than Adam Driver. That's a tough one for me because Adam Driver was so strong in Black Klansman. I mean, he was... That was a tour de force... From start to finish with everyone. Yeah, from top to bottom in that movie. But when you look at Adam Driver, especially, you know... Look, we loved him in Logan Lucky. He was brilliant in that movie. I loved him in Girls. Yeah, but I'm just talking like movies. You know, And he's coming off of Kylo Ren. When he's able to put in a performance like this in Black Klansman... That there were so many subtleties that he had to, as a Jewish character, had to cope and deal with in Black Klansman. I don't know. He's going to be the tough one to beat. As as good as Mr. Ali yeah. is, I, I think, and he's very good. But yeah, I mean, it, listen, it's a wealth of riches. It's, it's a yep, and two strong movies that are audience are good movies like yeah. they're really they, they're coming from solid movies that audiences can appreciate very much yeah. Marissa where do you stand on uh, on any of these nominations well, I, I definitely think my Herschel because I always mentioned there has to be like one or two key moments where you're like yeah that's the moment where you get the, the nomination and like the moment for Green Book for my Herschel was when he's just standing out in the rain with the whole spiel of like if I'm not white enough I'm not this if I'm not black enough I'm not cultured what have you like that whole spiel um, I was like yeah that's the moment that that would they would cut that and isolate that scene out just to show it up on screen like during the whole presentation for him mm. um it's fantastic i i, I can't really speak too much because i haven't seen black klansman um so there's, i haven't there's, seen all there's the movies. a couple of, there's a there's a lot of scenes from that that you could pull out of dry adam the fact that he basically is forced to say that he hates jews when he's a jew himself in order to be undercover like that scene alone and in a sense yeah. he was almost at the beginning of the movie not i don't want to say a self-hating jew but he was a jew that never really followed the tradition but it was because of there was such hatred that he began to take it take Judaism more seriously. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to take away from the performance that we're talking about here because, again, not only is it an individual performance, but I think as a as a combination performance. You said it at the top. This is fantastic casting. Yeah. Like, and all you needed is one weak link. If somebody overplays their part, the, the movie doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it just doesn't work. And again, Viggo Mortensen is transformative by gaining the weight and becoming becoming Ted, Teddy the Lip. It was it was just it was it was great. It was the, their chemistry together too. You felt as if while making this movie and being together, that they themselves became true friends and appreciative 
of their creativity. Absolutely. So. Well, well I want to do one more thing. We haven't talked about uh, uh, Octavia Spencer had a tad bit of, 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 of influence on this movie. Um, and she helped champion this story. And she offered a passion inside an advocacy to the Green Book. And she joined the filmmaking team as an executive producer during the early stages of development. And there isn't being much said about this, but I think that what she was able to bring, and she had an enthusiasm for telling this story, that I know that the filmmakers, uh, Farrelly and company, were really proud to have her on board and take her wisdom uh, and creativity. She's a very smart woman. She think is. of, you know, even just last year, I think it's last year coming off with working with Denzel Washington. And, you know, I mean, that's just that's just a minor speck on her <laughs> spectrum of, of, of work, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, she has, she's had a great run in the last 10 years. Um, yeah. Like, with the help getting her, her win, her, she was in The Shape of Water, which was the best picture last year. She was um, an instant family. She she was also in the the the, the hidden figures. Yeah, you know, and she also got nominated for that. So like she's had her list of movies in the last even five years have all been recognizable. And crowd pleasers. Yeah, you know, they're, they're people just, that yeah, audiences last week. Right. Yeah, it's a, she's fantastic. She is in movies I that audiences her. gravitate to. In. So many di- different diverse ways. And drama. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. Comedy and, and drama. She's versatile. Very much so. And and much like when we talked about, you know, say incident filming, this movie juggled. Again, this movie could have gone either way. This could have been a straight out movie of just racism across the country. Well, that's what right? I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it could have been because I heard it was. I heard it was drama, like because someone, uh, even Chris Byers, in his interview. Compared it to like Driving Miss Daisy, which is more of a like kind of a drama, and and for like Oscar season, so like my head automatically went to drama. Yeah, and it could have been, right? Um, but the juggling and the fine balance of adding like comedy throughout, salt and pepper throughout at great moments, I think elevate the movie and make it. And, and through the comedy, you can you still get the themes. Um, without them, we're we're intelligent moviegoers. We understand the themes. We don't need it to come down like an anvil on our head. And I think the comedy helps. The comedy helps bring audiences in too. I think. Yeah, and I, I, that that is the more surprising aspect of it. All right. Well, we've talked well over an hour at this point about this movie, which is certainly fun. It deserves the recognition. Um, but it is for us time to wrap it up. But that doesn't mean the conversation is over. That is you as an audience. You get to participate. And you guys have been participating. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, leave us a comment. Let us know your thoughts when you do get to see it. It's the holiday season. You're catching up on a lot of stuff. And the great part is movies are so timeless. And I'm amazed to go back in time when you guys catch up with some of these movies. And you comment that the fact that... You guys, in essence, make these movies live on forever. So that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I want to take the time to acknowledge you and encourage you. In the meantime, if you want to interact more directly with any of us, at Serafini TV. That's right. At DMovies1701. Please do. I'm actually in the process of... I'll let you guys know, but I'm rebranding my 
Uh-huh. But when it happens, I'll let you know. Exciting um, stuff. At, at this song right here, this is a testament to the time, too. Because as that fight was going on, did you notice the band didn't... They didn't, didn't flinch. They didn't flinch. It was they just normal Tuesday. <laughs> That's what I took it as. All yeah, right. And I'm Phil Svitek. Thank you for joining us. Um, and, of course, this is at the Popcorn Talks. Uh, and check out other movies. And speaking of which, as you catch up, we have a long list of movies that we've done in the past. I think pretty much over 500. And we've got a lot more movies to go. So keep checking back in. Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.